Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years, almost as long as I've been trying to make it big in comedy. And a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage has led me here today discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the one, the only, the very brilliant Richard Gadd. Richard, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. So, as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. That's perfect. <laughs> it's like every job interview would go well if it took place in a car, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Focus on the outside world. Anytime there's, there hits a lull, you look out. Oh, look, there's someone with a pram. What are they doing with that pram? You know, uh, that's a nice tree. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't the principal aim of this, to, uh, <laughs> to totally distract you with what's People in this People are more room, honest when they're not looking at someone's eyes. That's the principal reason, I get it. Well, one of the reasons. So, Richard, as a member of that very elite club, Edinburgh Comedy Award winner, you're often asked in interviews for your advice for other comedians. Um, and I've heard you say in a few interviews, comedy comes from truth. Everyone's life is interesting. Well, it's fair to say your recent life, your 20s, is possibly more interesting than most, and it's something you've explored. If interesting is the right word, it's probably the wrong word, completely the wrong word. No, interesting. Something you've explored in your two most recent uh, phenomenal shows, Monkey See, Monkey Do, and Baby Reindeer. Um, So people that have seen these shows and read and seen the interviews around them uh, will maybe feel that they know a lot about you, perhaps more so than other comedians. Do you you feel that? Do you feel that the audience knows you? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I, th- I think I've put myself on, out there quite a lot. I think you know, I'm I'm a self <laughs> self analyzer, and the best way to get clarity over that is to put your demons on stage or your your personal journeys or anything you've been struggling with, any, anything you want to get off your chest on stage. And, and as it just happens that the stuff I need to get off my chest has always been pretty brooding and dark. <laughs> and so yeah. yeah, I do think my audience know me and and i think that's that's certainly um quantified by by the volume of of uh of messages i get very personal messages i get from from people who see my shows sort of sharing their their personal lives with me so Mm. yeah i feel i feel i do give a lot of myself away and do you do you respond do you have time to respond to all these messages i respond to every message i I get uh, Mm. unless it's uh someone's dick or (laughs) or unless it's uh (laughs) 
Oh, I wondered like, where that response was. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't run back. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, uh, uh, unless it's sort of weird, I, I always get back. You know, if someone's got something nice to say, like uh, I don't want them to think I, I don't appreciate it. Um, mm. Some people ask for advice. I'm not qualified in what I do. Do you see what I mean? So, so yeah. I say I have to sometimes say, look, I'm not qualified to answer these questions, but you can speak to this, this, this here, here and here, this charity, that charity, yeah, and they can help. But I always do try and, and get back to everyone. I, I think it's polite. I, I do remember when I <laughs> won the comedy award. I do remember uh, putting up on Twitter and saying, um, thanks, guys, on the day. I appreciate all these messages. I'll get back to every single one, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was uh, regret pushed in that. That's, that's for sure. So you say you're a self-analyzer. Has that always been the case? I think so. You know, I, I, I've always, you know, I think I've always been a big thinker. I can pinpoint certain points where I certainly feel like it's got worse, and I can certainly, th- I can certainly think that there are things. You know, I'm a terrible insomniac. I, I make my self-analyzing, you know, idiosyncrasies and all these kinds of stuff and and, and anxieties, you know, come about mm. uh, very much like today, for example, when I've had basically no sleep. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard you talk about that in the past is that is that something that kind of comes and goes the the problems it, with it sleep can or? come and go it can come and go yeah yeah i mean i've tried everything nothing works unless there is a technique somebody just smashes you as hard as they can with a bat in the back of the head <laughs> then you're out for a long time <laughs> that's a new way to close out this podcast maybe. yeah yeah so yeah we'll cover some of these subjects in a in a sec maybe but um uh i want to kind of Discover more aspects of your life that maybe build up the picture of your psychology as a stand-up comedian and performer. So, uh, if I may, can we take you back to your kind of pre-stand-up comedy days, your childhood? What, what, what was that like? Where did you grow up? Grew up in a, on the outskirts of uh, Dundee, just over the water. No one's ever heard of it. It's a place called, uh, called Wormit, <laughs> which is about as bad a, a name for a place as you can, you can possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did there. It was a small little town. There wasn't much to do at all. Uh, but, you know, when, when it's all you know, <laughs> it's absolutely fine. And was comedy part of your childhood at all? Oh, I obsessed with it. I absolutely yeah. loved it. I didn't like... This is going to sound... So I hated, I didn't like stand-up comedy, like in the purest sense. Mm. You know, I remember growing up and there would be these DVDs that the parents would have and you'd have these sleepovers when you were young and you'd be like nine or ten and you'd have these sleepovers and, and somebody would like steal a, a comedy DVD or a VHS off their parents and they'd be like, let's watch comedy. They swear and they do it. And I'd be like, <laughs> oh God, please, no, please. I don't want to watch someone talking. It just didn't, it just didn't do anything for me. But I was obsessed right. with Laurel and Hardy, obsessed okay. with uh, all the comedies growing up. I, I really do think I grew up in the age of, the golden age of, of sitcom. You know, The Office, Peep Show, Father Ted, Black Books. Uh, Blackadder, you know, I know, I know some of them were a bit pre my time, but they were still very much on TV and in the zeitgeist when I was yeah. growing up. And uh, and I, I had such a love for sort of narrative comedy and uh, and such a love for the sort of weird and wonderful. I, mm. I I was obsessed. I was obsessed with it. I mean, me and my mate used to sit and quote The Office off by heart, but both seasons Christmas special, and we we compete to see if we knew all the words. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we'd get pretty fair way through the whole season, <laughs> pretty much, you know, knowing all the words. 
Yeah. So I was obsessed with it. Yeah. And what was it particularly about stand-up then that put you off? You mentioned the mentioned the swearing then. Was that was that a... <laughs> no, no. God, <laughs> well, no, no. What, I, what put I, you off about stand-up? My dad I mean? swears every second word. No, I was, okay. I was, I was used, used to that, you know, right. swearing. But I... No, it was it was it wasn't that. It was the stand up. I just I just never found it stimulating seeing uh, somebody talking. I don't know. Maybe I just needed a bit more. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's it's it is it is a. Uh, I think it's an acquired taste. It's why people enjoy alternative comedy and why people enjoy more commercial comedy and why people enjoy sketch and why because everyone's. I think I think the comedy your comedy taste chooses you. It's not the other way around. Yeah. And I just think those sort of DVDs. Uh, just, just didn't do it for me. I, I just wasn't interested in that that kind of anecdotal yeah. stuff. Yeah. So you. I wish I was. Bloody, hell, I'd have more money now. <laughs> <laughs> so your your love of kind of things like Lauren and Hardy did, did that colour your early gigs? Um, you know, because it's fair to say I think that your style was very different when you first started. Was that in two thousand and nine? Uh, two thousand ten, maybe. Two thousand ten. Yeah. Nine. I think I. I think I did. Uh, I wouldn't say I started coming. I think I used to. Do you remember when the Chortle student comedy? Was yes, I do. I've um, I may have seen some clips. Yeah, well, I'm sorry about that. But That's uh, fine. yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not proud of them. And uh, I remember at the time thinking, God, God, I'm such a such a satirical new voice in the Scottish <laughs> comedy scene. God, look how satirical this, this this great parody is. And I watch it back now. I'm like, wow, that satire is thin. That that might just be offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I, I don't enjoy watching them back at all. I, I think at the time I thought it was really clever and sort of breaking the mold. Yeah. But I watch them back now. I think God, it really was sort of self-indulgent and also extremely comedically introspective as well. You know, like a satire of comedians. I mean, who's who's going to laugh at that? Comedians. So I'm catering to like minus percent of the room most of the time. Or yeah. At least the comedians want to bill with. So. You know, God, yeah, no, I, I, weirdly, they, they used to do all right. I mean, I got to a couple of Chortle Awards sort of finals. And yeah, yeah, finals yeah. And, yeah. You know, but I look back at it and I do question why. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I did, I would only do that gig because it roll into town and people, there wasn't really a stand-up scene, like a student stand-up scene at, at Glasgow University. And it would roll into town and people would get excited and they'd all give it a go. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. So, but I didn't start really gigging until 2011, and like really going for it, I think. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a, a different style then. Was it was it in a, to a certain extent? To what of, I do now. Yeah. Massively. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Massively. Polar massively, opposites. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. It, was it kind of um, uncluttered in a way by by the by the dark darkness that came over you and your, you know, uh, the things that happened to you in your life, was it un- uncluttered by darkness there or was there anything you were drawing upon with that comedy, you know? Yeah, I think that's from- good. I think, I think that's, that's a very good uh, assumption. I mean, I mean, I, I certainly think that, you know, my life took a very dark turn. I mean, I never know where to, where to drop it in, but I'm assuming you're going to ask about it, about it at some point in, mm. you know, my early 20s. And I, I, I think, you know, because I was going through massive trauma and I was going through uh, a lot of questions about myself, questions about my life, mm. my comedy started to become very neurotic and visceral and traumatic and reflective of that position in my life I was in. Back yeah. when I was a student, you know, happy as Larry, hadn't really experienced trauma in, in the mad sense that I know it now, in the big, massive sense that I know it now. Mm. Yeah, I found silly stuff funny. So stupid anti-jokes, jokes that didn't go anywhere, jokes that were accidentally offensive, jokes that 
that you know that that were just sort of ever so slightly obnoxious. I'd find absolutely hilarious. I'd mm. find that I'd watch comedians. You know when comedians do an anecdote and uh, it doesn't get a laugh, and they go, "Well, I thought it was funny." I would be like, that, and I'd find that I was laughing at the space between the jokes. So I thought. Why doesn't my routine just be the space between the theatrical jokes, <laughs> the awkwardness? That's what my routine has to be, the bits that I find funny. And for a while, I, I, I did enjoy it and thought it was fun, but yeah. it had a shelf life. And I think, I think there was a wave of alternative comedy where a lot of people were just doing bad jokes and bad comedy. And <laughs> oh, it, it still exists. It still yeah. exists. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it's it also <laughs> just meshed into one crappy open spot. <laughs> you know, and I, I think I was part of that. So, yeah, so I... Uh, eventually I, I took it it was when I started doing the Edinburgh shows that things took a twist yeah do you think I mean growing up with Laurel and Hardy and the sillier stuff and the maybe slapstick and the things you started with do you think in time you'll ever go back to, to that kind of totally change styles again I don't know uh, no I think the notebook man is, is, is lost to the <laughs> Lost what I'm saying is I enjoy that man. I enjoy that comedian. Wow, you're the only one. Uh, I sold one <laughs> ticket for my next show. Um, but I, uh, no, I, I don't think I'd go back. I, I, I think I, I get a lot of fulfillment and uh, satisfaction from, from doing stuff that I, I think has a sort of a bit of a, more of a social appeal. Yeah, uh, indeed. Is it also fair to say then that in 2013, 14, with your shows, you did Cheese and Crack Whores and Breaking Gad, and it was touched upon by The Gardener thing that said the, maybe the truth of what was going on was uh, deeply kind of sublimated in, in, in your work. Was that what was going on at that time? You were kind of talking about it without talking about it, kind of talking about uh, showing the emotions without actually talking about any of the situations you were going through? Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. is very good. That is a very good... Uh, I can tell you you've got a degree in psychology. <laughs> very good at analysing this. Uh, I mean, I almost just want to say yes because yeah, really, no, that's fine. Pretty, that's fine. Pretty, I mean, that's pretty spot on. I, mean. I didn't see these shows. I've seen your later shows, and I didn't see uh, Waiting for Gado as well. So, can we touch upon that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, was I, that was that when it started to kind of change? I mean, that was when I yeah. I mean, I mean, I was sexually abused. I sort of, you know. It's very, it's very tricky and, and difficult to talk about. But, but I, yeah, you know, well, you, don't, you don't have to. No, it's fine. fine. I was sexually assaulted. Uh, I, well, I mean, I, I you know, I, I still find it. Even though I've stood on stage and talked about rape and talked about sexual abuse and talked about all these 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 issues uh, at length, it's weird in a one on one situation. It's almost more anxiety provoking. I know it sounds okay. It's like you, you know, you'll find it's coming. You're slightly braver on stage Indeed. than in sort of one on one <laughs> situations. When people would say, "Who would you rather tell your secret to? A whole room of people, <laughs> or just one person?" And they say, "One person every time." But the psychology of a comedian, <laughs> no, I'll tell forty at once. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, that, I, 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 that that happened to me when I was in in my early twenties. I, I. You know, I it, it was it, it shook my life up, and I I had a complete meltdown, a complete breakdown. I, I I my whole life was thrown. You know, I never thought something like that would happen to me, and I my life was thrown into to such disarray. And and I and I I I, I meanwhile was this thing was like, I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it fuck up my dreams. I'm not going to let it. Uh, stop me doing this. It's not going. It's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me. It's not going to stop me. So I kept going. Mm. And uh, the shows that I did were like these sort of, 
almost Ginsburg-esque howls, you know, but w- without ever sort of explaining why. And they all went down. People loved them, and there was like a there was like it certainly they certainly got their audience, but they were like visceral. I, they were self-lacerating shows because I had a lot of self-hatred and regret, and they were yeah. shows that were just like jokes about sexual abuse and jokes about drugs and all these things they were they were visceral in your face sort of unhappy shows um extremely dark and uncomfortable and would offend people and rub them up the wrong way and would make the industry scared of me and all these kinds of things and i actually felt in a way people come and see those shows and probably think i was some sort of prattling psychopath in a way i think i was the most vulnerable out of anyone on the circuit at that period of time because i i just hid behind these walls of sort of punk anarchy and mm. I don't know and I did about three shows in that vein Cheese and Crackers Breaking Gado and Waiting for Gado I, I sort of you know they've been referred to not by me as uh, as uh, the Grindhouse Trilogy <laughs> 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 and I I don't know whether that's just wanky but I but I but uh, they were three shows that were just so uh they were very repressive shows. I'm, yeah. I'm proud of them because I, I'm proud that I got anything out in that period of my life and just, just managed to keep doing something because I was really hurtling towards a, a full breakdown. Uh, mm. But I, yeah, no, I, 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 I <laughs> they were exactly just sort of not dealing with the problem but mentioning the problem but not mentioning it in a way where you deal with it. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So was there a point, was there any point that you look back to, I've heard you talk in interviews as well, in in terms of saying that one day you thought, I'll turn the back of my mind to the front and face the past. Was there any moment that you thought, no, I will switch this around now and actually talk about it? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was sort of, I I would sort of, uh, I took up obsessive running after going through something like that. I was suffering Mm. post-traumatic stress. You know, I, 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 it was a deep, it was a, Surprising thing to go to, there's a lot of shame because I was older and that how did I not see it coming and all this kind of stuff. Mm. I had a lot of things I was wrestling with, doubts about myself and, you know, I, I would run sort of obsessively sort of every night. I'd run myself into the ground. I've still got sore knees and ankles probably for the rest of my life as a result of doing this. Mm. Uh, I'd run every night at least 10 miles, sometimes more. Uh, you know, and I'd run and run and run, and 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 I I would sort of just be in a personal hell, and I always felt if I didn't run, then then it, I God knows what what sort of lifeline I would have, like therapy, nothing nothing helped mm. apart from that. But I remember just thinking like, even at that period of time, like some good's got to come out of this, some good's got to come out of this, some good's got to come out of this, and after sort of years and years of running and repressing and hoping it would all go away. This sort of vague light bulb in in amongst the darkness and the distance started getting closer and closer. And it sort of just came to me that maybe I should do a show about it. Maybe if I pound a treadmill in front of an audience, they'll understand just how bad all of this stuff is. Yeah. And it sort of came quite organically. And I think it got to 2016 and I realized I'd been struggling for so many years. And I'd only ever told my mom and a really good friend about it. And they'd become my... Uh, counselors in a way and, and I, it had a massive detrimental effect on our friendship and, and maybe uh, my relationship with my mom in the sense that you know I, I think it was a trauma for the whole family and a trauma for my friendship and I think I burned everything out because I, I could not make a decision I couldn't send emails I, I was I was completely and utterly having a breakdown and I kept talking about it and analyzing it and worrying about it should I've done this I should have done this how do I get through this and I realized I've been going through that for years so I needed to do something drastic because the only way you really change your life is to do something drastic. Yeah. And you say therapy didn't help you at all at that time? 
At that time, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's funny. I mean, I waited for about nine months for a an NHS. I mean, I was working in a bar at the time as well. That was my main source of income. And yeah, you know, I I was NHS therapy nine months, head miles up the road. I remember it was in like High Barnet, and she was lovely, the therapist. But they they decided because I when I went and said why I was doing it, I didn't want to admit on a sheet of paper what I had gone through. So anxiety and all this stuff mm. so they put me through cbt yeah and i did these sessions of cbt where it's just like christ and without them knowing what you'd gone through no no without them knowing what i was going through right. and i remember them saying so what we do with cbt we draw a line under the past and we all focus about how to move forward and i was like all right okay, draw a line under that i find it very hard to draw a line under that you know and i and i remember uh, doing 10 uh i think there was 10 sessions i think i did i got to about session number seven of what you need to do if you're feeling anxious Look at them. Mm. Trace your eyes. They've got a black shirt on. Just say things. They've got blue eyes, black shirt, uh, you know, dark hair, red lipstick, or whatever, you know. And I and and that will, if you start to describe them, that that will bring you down to to earth. That was one of the. And I remember thinking after weeks of this, just be like, so I'm going to tell you something now, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's going to be really. Uh, I just need to tell you about it. And uh, I do remember her saying, okay, you know, you know, you need to be able to be honest here. And I remember telling her, and because she, her experience had been in CBT, she actually—I remember she cried listening to it all. Right. And I, I remember thinking, "Oh God, that's weird." And I, I realized she, she, someone who's CBT is very highly skilled form of therapy. Mm. She probably wasn't. <laughs> she probably hadn't done the psychodynamic <laughs> counseling stuff, so she probably wasn't actually used to in her line of work dealing with people talking about as challenging stuff as I was talking about. Yeah. And she was deeply shocked, but she was really helpful from that point on. She pointed me in the right direction. I got help. She sent me to a, a place called the Haven in Whitechapel. And I, and I sort of started to get a bit of the therapy I, I needed, but I'd waited nine fucking months. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it was, it was too little too late. And, and, and it was at a time when, you know, there were all these cuts to the NHS, mental health and all this kind of stuff. And I really felt it. Yeah. I really felt it. And, uh, that's shocking to wait nine months for. It might have even been more. Yeah. It was. It was ludicrous. It was absolutely. It just was. It was a joke. Yeah. But and you, you know, and, and private therapy in London. Christ Almighty! I was working in a bar. I was making about fifty pound a day. Yeah. You know, it was like two shifts just to get. You know, so. Yeah. But you say subsequently you found therapy useful after that. Uh, I think it's got its uses for sure. I think it's what Jesus. I, th I think if you're honest with yourself about what you're struggling with, yeah. you can find the right therapist. I think a lot of people think I'll just go to therapy and avoid the question. I think you can, in a way, typical human nature is to, to almost sidestep the problems even in therapy. You know, because mm. uh, I think everyone wants to know or think or feel that they're improving. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But but I think now that I, I'm just I, I've learned this is going to sound one of the few tweets I've ever had. That, not like I'm a massive tweeter. I know I said this, but the blue up was. I think I put, um, I'm going to need to get a therapist to explain why I keep lying to my current <laughs> And I think, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think yeah. That, yeah. That, that sort of sums it up. I, you know, but I think now I've learned to be honest with the therapy I need. And that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the one I get. Yeah. So you say your mom and your, your friend were very helpful at this time. And, Massively so, yeah. and, and therapy became more helpful. Did you uh, talk to them about turning these situations into art and talking about them? Did you get advice on that? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> I remember sitting with my mum 
in a cafe and, and sort of I was having a breakdown because I'd already signed up to the Fringe Guide. It was in the thing. I, I, I had, I, you know, when you're writing a show, you just need it to come into focus. You need to pull it into focus. You need the process. You just need it to come. You need it to come. And it's panic, panic, panic. Come, come, come. Write, mm. write, write. Rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. And I remember going up to, I was in Edinburgh for some reason. I, I was panicking like fuck. And my mum was, uh, my mum had come down from 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 Wormit for for the day, <laughs> and uh, I remember explaining to her my show and asking her if she thought it sounded bad. And she goes, "Oh, Richard, it sounds a lot like navel gazing." And I'd be like, "God, I don't need to hear that. I did not <laughs> need to hear that." And I think my friend thought I was a little bit too not psychologically ready to do something like that. Right. I tell you that Monkey Monkey was the hardest show. In my life, for so many reasons, for a lot of reasons, I'm not allowed to go into for, for legal reasons. But but mm. but but it was the hardest show of my life for so many reasons. But what this was this was the thing that my head, the dichotomy in my head, the the challenge in my head was this: I've been abused, I've been sexually abused, you know. Okay, that's that was awful. Now I'm going to do a show about it. If it goes bad. I've been sexually abused and I've done a bad show about sexual abuse. And I, I remember thinking, fucking hell, the stakes are high. This has to, this has to be the answer. Because if it's not the answer, then I'm fucked. I've tried therapy, I've tried running, I've tried exercise, I've yeah. tried changing my life, I've tried experimentation, I've done all these things. The last th- th- roll of the dice is arced. And yeah. if it's not that, then, then I'm fucked. I mean, the stakes were so high. Yeah. <laughs> And I had this awful bastard in preview in Ballon the day before I went to Edinburgh. And my fucking God, they walked out in their droves. And I was like, well, this... I, I remember know. going to Edinburgh that year and thinking, I just got to get through the month. If I get through the month without, without, fucking, without having an utter breakdown, throwing myself in front of a bus or something, then, then, then that, that's the success of this month. So crazy yeah. what happened in the end. God, really. wow. I mean, it is one of the most, if not the most remarkable Edinburgh stories uh, I think. I mean, I have a strange link with that year that you may remember that we shared the same technician and video whiz. Matt uh, Brooks. Matt Brooks. Shout out to him and his excellent podcast, Talking Bottom. Has he got, has he got a podcast? Yeah, where he goes through uh, episode by episode. Forensically, the sitcom Bottom is very good. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know he was a fan. Or is he not a fan? He's a fan, yeah, yeah. There's, there's three of them. They, uh, they go through it. So if you're a fan of Bottom then, uh, or a fan of Matt, listen out for that. Well, I'm a fan of bottom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking, Matt. You know I love you. So kind of every day, I would, he would go from my show to yours, and I'd stay in touch with you every day, even before knowing you, and, uh, and you know, hearing how the show was going and building, and the queues were starting to form early, early for your shows. They were queuing, and you were handing out little tickets, weren't you, to get people in. Having come from that position of fear and that um, Ballon preview, and your mom telling you it wouldn't work, and your friends telling you it wouldn't work, what did that start to feel like? Did you start to think, oh, they might be wrong here? When was that? What did that buzz feel like? I remember doing the, the first couple of shows. I, you know, I had my audience by this point. You know, I still bit up a crowd from the old Grindhouse trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> and I built up this... You've got to bring those back, by the way, I think. No, uh, now I we know, know what's... I don't think they'll have aged well. But I, <laughs> People uh, will look at them in a totally different way. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, maybe, actually, as a, as a sort of, like, museum experiment. It might, <laughs> yeah, it might yeah. Be all right, but I... Uh, yeah, it sort of it sort of was a bit of a runaway train. I mean, I I remember the first couple of shows; they went really well. Uh, there wasn't that much tweeting, and I, it was a couple of days before I had any reviews in. So mm. I was like, I think this is going well. And I think once uh, maybe a Telegraph and the Chortle had come out, and yeah, 
and just word had gone round that I was doing this thing and this is what it was about and running on a treadmill and running from a monkey and playing therapy records and, and all this stuff that it started to catch like wildfire and then the pressure was replaced with living up to expectation which I actually think is is even as hard as, as fighting against failure is, is living up to expectation and, and I think there was so much buzz around that show that year yeah, and I think that people came the industry came and they start you know we all know when the industry comes to show they, they start the life out of it because they're analyzing it if mm. they're from a production company they want to know if it's translatable to tv you know if, <laughs> if they're from doing a special this re, they're watching it in a different way they're not there to laugh they're yeah like, so the more of them started to come the more that the shows got harder and it, it became a literally running for my life in, in a venue trying to, to live mm. up to expectation and thankfully it did i mean still to this day it's the I still can't believe it worked out the way that it did. I still, you know, I still think it's crazy. I, you know, Matt Brooks has it all on tape. Matt, we need to do something with all that footage. Uh, we. Um, oh yeah, the little what documentary around it. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a tricky process getting it, trying oh, yeah. to get it off the ground afterwards. But, yeah, uh, I was with him uh, at that time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was uh, it was a crazy journey, and you know, and, and it was such a random mix of people as well on it, you mm. know, and and all. You know, it, it, I'll never forget it. I get I even feel slightly emotional talking about it. And people, it was just, it, I felt myself getting stronger and better as that month went on, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just needed it so bad to go that way. Yeah, I mean, God, so that's what that's why it is the most remarkable story that you, you needed it so bad. You've talked about that. And in terms of looking back, you you got so much out of that month in terms of recognition, in terms of respect, recognition from the public, from the press. Presumably, more recognition from your friends. Did your mom come and see the show in the I didn't family? let my parents see it. Okay, okay. It was, I don't think they were ready for it. I don't think I was ready for them to see it, you know. Sure. And then ultimately, the award, uh, the Edinburgh Comedy Award. Yeah. And I've heard you talk about that award as... You needed the award more than anything. You needed something physical to hold up and say, fuck you, you haven't won, you haven't beaten me. Is that still how you look back at it in terms of uh, the no, award? No, that's, that's, there's, many, there's many ways I, I see it. It, 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 was, it, was, it was never really about the award. I, mm. I was happy but looking getting myself back, on my feet again. Yeah, but looking back on it. It's the award was a symbol that, to me, it was always more than an award. I mean... As we all know, it's the biggest live comedy award in the world. I'm not just saying that to sort of big myself up. I'm saying that because there were times when I thought I, I'd even I had I, I I had no fight left. So then to go from that feeling to winning that was was a feeling that I'm stronger than I I, I know in a way, and and a symbol that I'll always be stronger than I know. And I, I know that sounds cheesy, but I really do think that that award sort of uh, it was just the symbol of of fuck you. You tried to break me and you didn't. Yeah, and and a reminder to myself that no matter how bad it gets, it always gets better. It always meant so much more than ten grand and people tweeting about you. You know, I will never. You know, people people sort of win that award and they feel the pressure. They they feel the uh, they oh this has to mean something. And then you have other people who win the award and they they sort of self deprecate about it. And you have other people who win the award and uh, then feel you know. To to me, I. It was it was just such a such it, it means so much more than than an industry type thing. Yeah, it was such a personal award for me. Yeah, but that whole month, the the recognition, the respect, uh, 
it's it's all into one and is it i've heard you say as well in interviews that you were on the precipice of as you say jumping in front of a bus and do you look back at that month and think that month in some ways has kept me here in this world you know yeah yeah saved my life yeah no doubt that show saved my life i i don't think people know what 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 sex abuse is like until until you know i think anyone anyone who's hearing that will will understand yeah you know it was it was uh it was such a fucking mad show as well i i sort of it should it it, it just seemed to work and i could, still can never understand why a man running in pink lycra from a monkey on a treadmill whilst competing for the man's man's competition in mansfield playing <laughs> therapy records and videos of him throwing up while not speaking a word until the very end of the show sort of resonated as much as it did also there was upside down chins on projector screens you know like the whole thing shouldn't have worked but i think there was someone smiling on me that month <laughs> but god i mean i think the opposite in a way that it's just i mean it was remarkable and looking back you can just see exactly why it worked because there there you were in the depths the deepest depths and you talked about it and and it was such a great show uh, yeah I, I would never try to say that oh all art has to be worthy I think there's been a real cynicism recently in comedy. Sort of like people being like, oh, weepy bollocks. And, you know, there's, there's always kickback the other way now. I see a lot of sort of negative stuff about that uh, online, I, I, which I think is a shame, really. But, but, I, but I would never think that, 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 that comedy has to be worthy as well. I think it, everything has its place. Yeah. I just hope people still think that they're able to tell personal stories. I would hate for... Yeah. kick back to get to the point where well people have said that but they're never going to kick back about the kind of stories you've been through you know they're going to kick back on stories of my great great grandfather died recently it's like well everyone dies move on you know it's, uh, <laughs> it's a different thing isn't it i don't think you're going to get any kickback um great 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 granddad <laughs> yeah it's a sad yeah. story don't bring it up yeah. it was it was 110 oh, everyone giving birth to everyone when they're 10 <laughs> in this show um there was a lot of comedy in it um, Thank you. Monkey see, monkey do. It was very funny. Was that, I guess, was it important to make people laugh while revealing this story? And, uh, did you think about it in that way? I th yeah, you know, I. It was a very theatrical show. It, it travelled that line. I, I, I wanted it to be funny. I wanted it to be surprising. I wanted it to have this effect of gradually sort of sinking the audience into the hot water a bit. You know, um, and for that you need to get them laughing and then surprise them. I, I think that's the thing comedy can do so well, which is why I think these lines between comedy and theatre they're, they're so obtuse in a way. You know, like I, I think that that, that comedy does so well. Yeah, make you laugh, make you laugh. Oh, but then I'll make you feel something. I, I think that's a very powerful thing to do if you find something. It's, it's why I think The Office. To come back to that, I never really thought <laughs> I'd quote the office so much. Seeing as it was, but but you know that's why the ending works so well. You spend some yeah. time laughing and liking these characters. That when it gets serious and when you like them, it means so much more. Yeah. And yeah, I, I needed it to be funny because I needed I needed them to to think almost think it was about something else or a different kind of show before I got to to the end. Yeah. Therefore, it would make them care about it a bit more. Well, yeah, that's what makes all these shows great that go like they do, like The Office or Extras. I watch Extras a lot. And that's got a great partic ending. Particularly that bit with the um, the Big Brother where he's crying. It it's, a, it's remarkable. He says that it would be a penguin. Is it, what did you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That yeah, bit, it just makes me brilliant. tear up. Yeah, I mean, time. yeah, they're... Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think, you know, if you look at the ending of Blackadder Goes Forth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Blackadder would not be 
heralded in the way that it was without that ending. Yeah. So all these things were maybe in your mind and and uh, influencing you before you uh, before you knew it. You were coming out with uh, great stuff yourself. So, but immediately after that um, win, can I uh, can I take you to perhaps the worst thing in the world, which is an awful gig. Um, I've read about or heard you talk about um, mm-hmm. the showcase gig that you do in London oh after the God. Edinburgh Comedy Award win. I didn't want to do it for start. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Do you I, have the option of not doing it? Uh, I never shy away from anything, and I think it's a good philosophy to have, unless, of course, the decision is utterly stupid. Uh, but I sort of didn't want to do it, but, like, you know, I a lot of the weirder acts who do the showcase in Edinburgh and then the showcase in London, mm. who have won the Comedy Award, actually skip those showcases. Yeah. And I remember people thinking, oh, hats off to you when I did the Pleasance one. Mm. And uh, I died on my arse then, but nothing to the extent of, you know, because people come and that's... Basically, when you do these showcase shows, and I, I think that the, the, the showcase in, uh, <laughs> at the Shaftesbury on Shaftesbury Avenue Theatre or whatever it's called. Yeah, the Lyceum, wasn't it? Yeah, Lyceum, is that mm. where, where Michael Jackson's Thriller is? <laughs> is that, I think it's like a 1,000 seat, 2,000 seat venue or something? It is 2,000, yeah. It's 2,000, yeah. And, and uh, you know, they'd sold it through the lastminute.com mailing list. So people getting their last minute holidays to uh, Magaluf aren't really my audience. <laughs> and, uh, and there was like all 2,000 of them. And uh, there was just, uh, they had a bullet, bulletproof lineup. <laughs> at that period of time and and uh and then i come on wielding my crap and doing terrible you know doing anti-jokes and you know talking about some dark stuff and playing right. videos and you were doing a stand-up set rather than a clip from the uh, show yeah yeah, yeah. You, i did some clips from the show okay i sort yeah. of did a compilation thing because i couldn't i couldn't just run on a a treadmill for 20 minutes and then just do right that's the 20 minute section of the show and like they would have been like what the hell was that what these weird references to sexual abuse that didn't go anywhere <laughs> yeah. um it was just it was just uh you know I, I always say yes to anything and i didn't want to be one of these guys i'll win but i won't i won't do the the hard work yeah i wanted to muck in i wanted to i didn't want to just be this guy. oh thank you but i'll leave it to to the other people to to make these guys laugh i'll, I'll run off and, and and be timid and scared i always i don't care like a death to death and it's got a good story to it now and yeah I, well that's the reason i brought it up because whenever you've talked about it you seem to be oh i'm totally you seem to be it. totally at peace with anything, that I, find, I mean let's be honest i hate hearing stories of comedians being like, god i smashed this gig the other night oh i was amazing mm. i was so on fire they pissed themselves don't give a shit Tell me a story about going to Birmingham and dying on your hole and you're a friend for life. Because it's just, you know, every comedian has died and everyone knows what yeah. it's like. But has that changed, do you think, from what, what's happened in your personal life? I mean, obviously, a bad gig is nothing compared to what you've, you've been through. Is that, oh, is yeah, that, yeah. You know, I mean, it's I'm, just... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd rather not die. Uh, but, I, but, you know, when you, when you do sort of the weird stuff that I've done, it's, it, it's, you, you have to set yourself up for it. The potential's there. Yeah. It's not mainstream yeah okay. and so yeah it was bad gig yeah bad gig. <laughs> i did my time though despite the fact they were trying to boo me off yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. matt brooks was in the crowd he'll tell you i oh, was he and uh, i vaguely remember uh, a couple of things about the post uh, the post show died in my hole uh, epically mm. uh, went backstage andrew maxwell was there mm. uh, he looked absolutely horrified on my behalf <laughs> he was eating a bag of crisp he was eating a bag of crisp and he just uh, Offered me the bag and went, crisp? That was, that was the first interaction I had when I, I came off stage, uh, which was nice of him. Um, 
Uh, I actually, because <laughs> he was like, he couldn't see, didn't know what to say, so he was just like, do I say, oh, it was better than it was, even though it wasn't? Do I say, <laughs> oh, sorry, man, that went badly, but maybe he thought it went well, so crisp. Um, and then Matt Brooks, uh, delightfully um, weird as he is, uh, came backstage and was like, wow, they did not go for that. <laughs> wow, my God. And then, and then... When that person heckled you, you you didn't deal with it very well. You just called him a cunt. I was like, I know that, Matt. I, I, I know it didn't go well. God damn it, man. You should have said, what? That was a brilliant gig. What are you talking about, Matt? You know, like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. okay, well, let's move on from Monkey See, Monkey Do. The last thing, I guess... To, to say on that, which I think is important, is you're you're an ambassador for Survivors Manchester. That's right, yep. isn't it? Supporting Boys and Men in Greater Manchester. Uh, coincidentally, we partner with a counselling service uh, in Manchester as well on this podcast for creatives, um, specifically for, for creatives called Thread Up. Um, so, all invaluable services to yeah, they're amazing. In they, need they, of they, help. They help me out phenomenally. They're 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 brilliant, and they've 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 done wonders for me. So they so if you're listening. They'll do wonders for you too. So moving on from monkey see, monkey do. It's uh, it's it's going to be all fine after that, is it not? Hmm. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> so at this time, um, so I've seen your show, uh, Baby Reindeer, your, your most recent show. Uh, recently I saw it at the Bush Theatre. So at the time you were going through something and I think, am I right in saying it got slightly worse after you won the Edinburgh Comedy Award? Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, I guess you were out there in the press, and um, yes, exactly. Um, can we say it was a, um, it was a, it's a kind of stalking and a harassment issue that you were going through and yep, still are right. going through to a certain extent. Um, in terms of the show, should we play in the uh, adverts for the trailer for the show? I felt sorry for you. That's the first feeling I felt. But after 41,071 emails, 350 hours of voicemail, 744 tweets, 46 Facebook messages, 3 fake Facebook accounts, 106 pages of letters, some sleeping pills, a woolly hat, a pair of brand new boxer shorts. I don't feel sorry for you anymore. Right. Well, this is... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a stressful day. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is the, I mean, even just hearing that, this is the moment where I'm going to get slightly emotional because it, it deeply affected me, that show, and as I'm sure it has done, every, you know, everyone that's watched it. And um, yeah, it's an incredibly powerful piece of theatre, and it, it, it's, it's, it's something that's happened in my life to, 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 a, lesser, to a lesser extent um, so than, many what, than what you've gone through. through. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the show, I just sobbed as you know I, I saw you after the show and i sobbed like i hadn't uh, sobbed in a long time and sobbed is the word like a crying that i just hadn't had i don't think um apart from maybe when somebody died in my family it's just like yeah i mean god um you're great 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 <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> god i miss him he was only 150 Edinburgh 2020, hear the sad story of that painful 150-year-old. Um, no. Um, so in this show, one thing you stress is that you're not the only victim. You, you, you're both victims. Of the, the, there's blame on, on both sides. Um, 
you're both victims of a, of a system that allows these situations to perpetuate. Um, is that, uh, have I got that right there? I would say so, yeah. I'd say the show's about a lot of things. I'd say um, <coughs> systemic failure is certainly one. Oh. Um, she's, she was very unwell when she was stalking me and harassing me, and I think that there should be, the state should care for people who are that unwell. Um, I think she needs help and she's not getting it. And I think as a result, her, her behavior and has ramifications on so many people in her life. And uh, unfortunately for me, it, it, it got at one stage particularly uh, completely debilitating. Mm. It's very difficult in this day and age. There's so many ways, especially if you have a job in the public eye and you're on Twitter and, you know, all kinds of things. People can find you so easily mm. and they can, they can, they know where you're appealing, they know the, 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 the public places you're going to be at. And yeah, and, and it, 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 it just, it's, talk, it, it's almost like, the, the the police and uh, it's not really the police's fault. It's the funding for the police and the training and everything. They haven't adapted to this modern world. We're expanding at such a rate, and and our public services are, are falling behind as a result because they're not being given enough money and time to and and care and training to catch up. Mm. I really felt like uh, I was a victim of of tech accelerating way beyond the police's capabilities. Yeah. So in terms of making this situation again into into a show um, and certainly when I was thinking about what I'd gone through I did put it into a show briefly that I did at Leicester Comedy Festival and then I immediately canned it straight afterwards it went well but then in terms of the emotion that it brought up I said to my tech not Matt Brooks someone else <laughs> immediately afterwards I said I'm never doing that show again just because of the emotions it brought up so that was the one thing one of the things that I was thinking immediately after seeing your show in terms of it bringing up that emotion every time you do it which presumably it does um, yeah it does yeah and I've heard you say you put yourself through the ringer um, with that in mind I mean was it was the incredibly difficult decision to make having come off the back of Monkey See Monkey Do when it helped you obviously to uh, a great extent, and as you say, saved you. Did you have those thoughts in your head when you decided to embark on this one as well? In terms there was of a this lot of... might be therapeutic and... Yeah, yeah, and it has been. I mean, there was a lot of behavior I wanted to analyze about myself, about the situation. I wanted to put it out there to an audience because I thought there was a certain duty of care to, to let people know how bad it can get to and how difficult it was. Mm. I feel sometimes, you know, even though I was going to find it tough, especially admitting to parts that where I I displayed behaviour that, that that was bad, that was tough. But I I did feel like it was important to let the world know just how bad, how easily situations can escalate in this day and age, mm. you know. And yeah, it, it it's a different kind of show. I, you know, monkey monkey do. There was there was there was. Uh, this awful thing had happened to me that there was not a single person in the, the, the room who wouldn't think that I was the victim in that, you know, who wouldn't be on my side. But with Baby Reindeer, it, it treads a very fine moral line and that's what I wanted to do because I was sick of art, constantly pretending to be virtuous all the time and everyone on stage has to be perfect. I was the victim in this situation, but I, I didn't make it easy and I, I at times made her the victim and I, I, I displayed behaviors which I can explain from a personal point of view why I displayed them but the, the behaviors made the situation worse and I wanted to hold myself to account as much as I held her behavior and the police's behavior to account mm. I needed it to, to be more interesting than, than than a sort of morality tale 
Yeah, which my goodness it was. And But in terms of putting yourself through the ringer, um, how is it talking about those issues night after night? Are you in a, a psychologically? I mean, does it make it better, worse? I found it tough. I find it tough. I, th- mm. I think it's, you know, theatre is sort of different to, to, to comedy. I, I mean, I, I do find it difficult. I mean, I can't, I can't say that I don't. Yeah, and yeah. I, and especially because you know the show, the more the show is in demand. I mean, I, I remember doing t- ten weeks of Monkey Monkey Do. Yeah, you know at the Soho, I did five and then a break, a little break of about three weeks and then another five. Yeah, you know I was absolutely destroyed by the end. You know, and and Baby Reindeer the same. I did, I was doubling shows in Edinburgh. I did the full was it four weeks now? Yeah, and then uh, went down and did five in in the bush pretty pretty soon after. Mm. And it, it is difficult, and and uh, especially those double day shows and all these kinds of things. And yeah, it's it's just you know, sometimes I don't want to listen to there's a particular points in the show where you know my parents speak about how much it's affected them, and yeah, sometimes I'm like God, I, I really wish I could just skip this bit for a night, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. And there's some certain bits, you know, talking about what happened to me, and it goes into a lot of detail about the sexual abuse as well in the show, and uh, it, it really throws a lot of lot of vulnerability out there, and I, I do find it difficult. Yeah, I found, I find it, uh, I find it a challenge in a different way. I saw you after the, the Bush theatre performance, and I hope you don't mind me saying, you were, um, you were watching the door behind you, just, and, you, and I said, what, what, what are you doing? And you, you just kind of, you were watching the door because you were, I guess you're still worried that this person is going to show up. Yeah, she's had a phenomenal um, effect on my day-to-day yeah. life. There's the low-level anxiety bumping into her everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the one thing that I thought then, and it's a, it's a difficult question to ask, I guess, but it's, um, is this, you do have a choice, don't you, not to do this uh, this show, if, if you're going through the ringer, and it's an incredible show and incredibly affecting, it deeply affected me and everyone that goes through it. So you can understand the huge benefits to that. And as you say, you're talking about processes that don't work, and it's very important to shine a light. But in terms of your mental well-being, do you think about that? In terms of, is this healthy for your mental well-being to go through it again and again? Uh, I think in the long run it is get a lot of clarity on the situation. You understand it more. It doesn't bother you as much when you think about it. Right. Any catharsis you need to, you need to, you need to, to go through something quite intense to, to get to that catharsis. That's, that's what it is. Uh-huh. And I'm now just going through that intense period. But by the end of it, it will, it will, it will be a catharsis. And I already feel it sort of coming. Good. Sometimes when you're physically wound down because it's a very physical show it's harder to grasp the mental aspect of it mm. but usually when you get yourself back to full health again after a show you find that you your mental grasp of it is better right and are you doing anything else to complement that in terms of therapy along the side of that um, or help from others to not during the run no i right. i i you know i i uh I'm a bit of a workaholic, so I just carry on working. <laughs> just yeah. carry on going. So, I mean, God, that's so interesting. You're looking forward to the end of that in terms of your mental health kind of improving. You you think that by the end of the run, it will be there and you'll have dealt with it through having done the shows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
do you feel like there's any additional you know help that you need go I mean god you're answering all these emails and you're you know you're helping others when you're advising others do you feel like there's more help that you you possibly need from others friends parents um possibly therapy? i uh i've got a great producer francesca moody she's she's really good at check i, I adored my stage manager and, and they're really good at you know checking in with me especially in the second run i, I think the first one especially edinburgh I found very difficult mm. and i think they, they they did a great job the second time round of, of sort of checking in um it was a, a a fucking mad old time getting that, that show up and running and uh yeah christ almighty and, and 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 as a result i think you know there was a it was it was harder to do in edinburgh and edinburgh just it's 10 percent harder anyway there's just something about it isn't there yeah yeah so um yeah so so they're great they're great soothing sort of people to have around yeah and you, you say you're a workaholic. Do, do, does that um, does that affect any other aspects of your life? Do you miss certain things? I mean, have you? Yeah, do I you always lose prioritize any... work. Yeah, always. I also love it. Like I also love it. I mean, it's tricky, but I, I love it. And I, but I, I, I devote. I got a lot of things I, I like doing that I want to do. And now that it's a job, I have to do it, and I want to do it, and um, I have to keep momentum up. You only get one shot at it, really. No, absolutely. But you take some time after the shows, as you say, you're looking forward to the end of the shows. Is that the time you take to reflect and think, this is where I truly am in my life? No, I just keep going. <laughs> right. I, I don't, I, any holiday I have, I sort of just like, why am I here? What's going on? Let's get back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'll, I, try and, I try and go easy as I can. I never go easy on myself. What am I talking about? I, I put so much pressure on myself. Yeah. No. I uh, I need to learn how to be nice to myself. But do you look at the reasons why you perhaps want to do that because you don't want to think too much about it. You want to just yeah. keep going, and is that so? You just don't have to think. Yep. Yeah. That's a good assumption. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're good at this. Um. Anyway, right. One final thing for anyone else that has had your remarkable success over the last couple of years, it wouldn't even be a question that does this make you happy? Well, of course it does. But in your case, your remarkable success have come from shows that have been about such trauma, such awful things in your life. Mm. And that's why I asked, does it give you happiness, this? Because it's linked to the most unhappy situation. Yeah, but it does give me happiness in the sense that they are how I turned it back around. Yeah. They're the, the turning points, they're the... the, the the situations that have got me back on track. Yeah. Happiness has emerged because I've decided to do the shows. They're not really all part of the same thing. They're they're not. They're separate in a way. Yeah, they're and you, part of the healing process, shall we say? Well, thank you, Richards. No, thank you. Um, I hope that was in some ways not adding to any trauma or. No, it was grand. It was absolutely fine. Just. Um, yeah, you do a lot of research, it's good. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us and any psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pop People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. Do check out that other podcast I mentioned this week, Talking Bottom, and I've listened to another one this week, which is excellent, Almost Famous, with Barnaby Slater talking with family members of famous people, so please look out for those. 
as well as other episodes of Psychomedy, of course. Please subscribe, rate and listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in this video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at PodPeopleUK, at PsychomedyPod, at Nathan Cassidy and at Mr. Richard Gadd. Thank you again, Richard, so much. Thank you. Lots of love and see you again next week.